This is Top Floor, episode 50. What? You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 50. Welcome to Top Floor with Susan Berry. This weekly podcast ride up to the top floor features tangible tips and excellent stories from the experts and characters who elevate hospitality. And now your host and elevator operator, Susan Berry. Welcome to the show. If you have ever worked in a hotel, you have no doubt fantasized about what it would be like to own it or something even better. Today's guest made that fantasy a reality going from hotel front desk agent to hotel owner in less than a decade. Davon Reeves did not win the lottery, but she did play her cards right in exploring all aspects of the hotel business. Devon's desire to stay close to home and to her grandma led her to craft a career path that included hotel operations, asset management, and authorship. And she recently launched her biggest venture yet, the real estate crowdfunding platform, Vester. Devon and I are going to talk about how almost anyone can own at least a piece of a hotel. But before we jump in, we need to answer the call button. The emergency call button is our hotline for hospitality professionals with burning questions. If you would like to submit a question, you can call or text me at 850-404-9630. Today's question was submitted by Raquel. Here's what she says. I want to learn about development, asset management, and some of the other non-operations parts of the hotel business, but I cannot afford to get another degree. Any suggestions? Oh my gosh, this is such a perfect question for you, Davon. Tell me what you think. Did she know I was coming on the show? I mean, who knows? Listen... What do you think? What would you recommend for Raquel? Uh, So hi, Raquel. And I love that you want to get into hotel ownership and learn about the transactional side and development acquisition. So congratulations on that. Love more women getting into that space. So cheers to you. Um, No, you do not have to get another degree. It sounds like you already, I don't know if you have a degree in hospitality or whatever degree you have in, but no, you do not have to get another degree to get into the hotel ownership side. I do recommend that you understand what type of hotels or investments that you want to get into. So if you want to learn more about the types of hotels, learn about the funding parts of it, if you're looking to get into a career, uh, build a career into this, I recommend that you work for companies such as asset management companies or hotel brokerage firms. So you can really understand the fundamentals and really understand how to underwrite and analyze deals. That's going to be the biggest thing for you is really understanding the financial side of it, the transactional side of the business. And so really understanding, getting a good grip on Excel, getting an understanding in, in, in the numbers and really always say, understanding your ownership pieces. That's the first place that you need to start. So take a step back though. And what were some of the things that you did? I know you worked in operations and then you decided pretty quickly that you wanted to explore other aspects. So if Raquel was going to follow in your footsteps, would she, I don't know, do internships or stuff like that? Is that kind of how you did it? 
So I did this. I don't know how many people are going to go this route, but I took a non-paid internship after college. So that way I can learn about the transactional side of hotels or the ownership side. I don't know her age. I don't know where she is in life. She may not be able to do that. But there are different firms that do have entry-level positions, um, depending on where she is, to get that type of experience if she wants to go that route. Uh, like I said, working for a hotel brokerage firm, working for an asset management firm, working for a development firm, partnering with an existing hotel owner to see if you can shadow him or her deal. So that way you can learn and really get that hands-on experience. Ooh, that's a great idea. I love that. Like so many people in the hotel business, your first job was at the front desk and listeners can hear one of your stories from that time in episode 31. What appealed to you about that job at that point in time of your life? So why the Hyatt Regency Atlanta versus like a restaurant or a retail job or any of those kinds of things? So that's a great question. So I went to Georgia State and Georgia State had a program where they took the students where you can survey the the visiting, the visitors to and from Atlanta. They wanted to get a better understanding of what will get people to come to Atlanta and so forth, so forth. And so we would have to go to different hotels. And so they had this brilliant idea to send college students because who could turn down a college student, right? <laughs> so I had my little Georgia State. I had Dave Henry's Georgia State student. That was a name tag because I went in there every day. And so the room's exact. So shout out to Scott Snipes. Uh, the room's exact at the higher rate of Atlanta at the time. He was like, hey, Devon, you smile a lot. Do you want a job? It pays you $10 an hour. At that time, I was making $0 an hour. So I was like, <laughs> what? I'm about to be rich. What? I didn't even know anything about the benefit. Like, I, I just knew I was going to be making $10 an hour. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm about to be the richest person in the world, in my mind. <laughs> And it was so that I really didn't have to apply for the job, but I really did prep myself. I practiced. I had my my, my blue, I think it was, no, it was a black suit. I had my black suit on. I did my mock interviews with my advisor at school. I was so serious. I was going to get this job, right? That was probably the easiest interview ever. But that was the best decision I could have ever made, right? Um, I've met some of my lifelong friends working at the Hyatt. One of my good friends, uh, shout out to Brianna Harrington. She's the godmother, one of the godmothers of my son. And uh, we met working at the front desk together at the Hyatt. Um, I was able to travel the world at a discounted price because of, you know, you know what it's like being in a hospitality space. You get discounted rooms. And then getting to meet, I was able to interact with so many different people while working at the front desk from so many different cultures across the globe. Um, I got a chance to, to check in uh, Bill Russell, the late, great Bill Russell. He told me that uh, I had the prettiest smile east of the Mississippi. Oh. So that's my claim to fame. I got the prettiest smile. That's right. So so, this may be changing a little bit now, but I think it's still pretty common that hotel general managers need to be willing to relocate pretty often to advance their careers. I know that that did not appeal to you. No. So what was your next move after your stint at the Hyatt? I did do a little task force, but as you mentioned in my intro, I was a grandma's girl. So my grandma wasn't having me moving all across the country away from her. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I had to stay close to her to get her medicine. But as far as my next stint, I took that non-paid internship um, at Horwath ACL with Paul Breslin. Um, So I worked there in the morning. I worked at the Hyatt at night. So work that was non-paid was free at the time. And that was my introduction to feasibility studies. 
You know, Raquel was asking earlier about how to get into that space, understanding feasibility studies, understanding how a hotel is developing all the mechanics behind it and all the pieces and all the important people are part of the project. So that's where I learned about that process, how to understand the funding and the lending portion of it. Um, and then from there, so I was with Paul at Horroth HDL for about two years. Great company, great experience. And then found CHM Warnick out of Beverly or the Boston, Massachusetts area. First um, to Boston ever. My dad, when I told him about the job, he was like, we don't have any family there. Everybody thought I just got married because they couldn't believe why would I go to Boston? Mm -hmm. (laughs) We don't have any family there. But in my mind, I thought it was a great opportunity for me to learn more about hotel ownership and for me to um, take my career to the next level and see it more. They still are the best when it comes to um, advisory services and hotel um, asset management services. So you did feasibility studies. You worked for CHM Warnick. You did sort of asset management and analysis. And then later, you started the Vaughn Group to help people do hotel deals. Right. What made you decide after all of those experiences to shift your focus to pursuing hotel ownership for yourself? You know what? I always had it in me. I wouldn't say always. Um, Probably after I joined the American Hotel Lodging Association under 30 Gateway when I was like, I don't know. Under 30? (laughs) Under 30, right. I don't think I was in my mid-20s. I definitely graduated college by then. But um, I was around people who were my age who were like owning hotels. Like they inherited hotels. I'm like, wait, what? You know, I'm working in the front office. I'm like, wait, you can actually own it. I didn't think it was possible. And so once I realized that it was possible, then it just kind of stuck with me. And I was like, okay, how can I navigate this space? So that's why I took that non-paid internship, right? You know, uh, working at Horwath HGL, working at... So everything had its purpose for me to get one step closer to hotel ownership. So it was always in my mind, but I knew I had to be creative when it came when it came to a pathway or creating that roadmap to, to hotel ownership. I didn't know what I was doing, but I figured the best way to learn is from, you know, other hotel owners, right? Well, it seems to have worked out. You made news. <laughs> you made news as the youngest Black woman to own a hotel. And you are the co-owner of three properties now. You've written some books. You have courses that exist to sort of level the playing field for people of color sure. who want to own and invest in hotels. You've got plenty of irons in the fire. Right. And yet you recently announced a new venture. So we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But I want to understand first where your entrepreneurial drive comes from. Like, what is it that pushes you to keep doing new things one after the other after the other? I have no idea where it comes from because nobody's my family. Nobody, I know, right? I don't know. Maybe it's the Gemini in me. I have no idea where it comes from. But um, my dad was definitely not an entrepreneur. He was a fireman for 25 years. He retired as a fireman. My grandma was a nurse. She retired after like 20 something, 22 years, I think. My mom, she, you know, got her master's in human resources. Maybe my aunt a little bit. My god, my godmother was an entrepreneur. She was an event planner, but I don't know where it came from. I really <laughs> tell you like I just don't know where it came from I because I, I wasn't surrounded by it were you like this as a little girl like did you always you know have a what? little you know lemonade stand I always have like a little hustle like I was the candy lady in my neighborhood like I was selling can I was selling candy to people I was selling candy at class in the class so I guess I did always have it in me I just didn't know it was an entrepreneur I was I would do people nails like if they need their nails done they would uh-huh. come to my house 
and they pay me like a dollar or two dollars and I'll paint their nails. <laughs> um, but oh, so did you I do a good job? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for a dollar. <laughs> yeah, for like, it was like two dollars or something like that. And then I would go to Costco's and buy the, because um, my mom, uh, you know, my grandma, I think my mom or my grandma, they had a Costco's uh, card. And so I would go to Costco's and buy the candy. See, nobody had a Costco card. Mm-hmm. So I would buy the candy in bulk. And so I was able to sell my product a little cheaper because I was buying it in bulk. And so I would bring it to school and I'd be selling like Skittles <laughs> and I'd be set. So I was, I guess I just always had it. I love that. Yeah. So the new venture I mentioned is Vester. Yay. It's a crowdfunding platform for hotel investment. Yeah. I, most people know what crowdfunding is from Kickstarter or GoFundMe, but can yeah. you explain what it means in this context and what Vester is all about? Sure, sure, sure. So Susan, you are about to... You want to develop your hotel, right? It's going to be creative. It's going to be funky the beehive hotel right because aren't you aren't you wait what is you what's your the hive that's what it is the hive you're, you're the hive right uh-huh. so the hive hotel ain't that cute you like that don't you so the hive hotel right and let's say you need you know four million dollars in equity right you have like maybe you have like half a million of your own right and then you now but you need 3.5 because you need four million in equity right so you're like, oh my gosh, where am I going to go to get, you know, the additional funds, right? So you reach out to your friends and family, but you only get like maybe a small amount. So you hear about Vester, you put your deal on the platform and it, you know, goes through the approval compliance process. And now you're using it as a marketing platform to market, to bring in additional investors to help you get to help you raise the 3.5 million. So I created Vester as a way because I noticed a lot of people were trying to raise capital for their deals, but they didn't have access to capital or they didn't know where to go to get the capital. Or it was just a stressful process trying to raise capital. Um, And then also I was running into people who wanted to invest in hotel deals, but they didn't know where to go. So therefore create Vester. A key difference between this type of investing on Vester and others is the type of investor that's allowed to participate. Can you explain what the difference is between an accredited investor and a non-accredited investor? I only very recently learned what this even means. And I think a lot of people don't know that this difference even exists. No, and I think that's a great point because a lot of people don't realize that some people don't even know they are accredited investors. So a difference between accredited investor and non-accredited investors, this is a definition by the SEC Security Exchange Commission, Securities Exchange Commission. And basically what it is by definition, an accredited investor is someone who has an income over $200,000 a year, or they have a net worth of a million dollars. So that's the definition of an accredited investor. And there are a lot of um, investment opportunities where you only can be, that's only allowed for or allotted for accredited investors. However, with my platform, both accredited and non-accredited investors can actually invest in it. Gotcha. So you don't have to be a millionaire. You can come on even if you're just a regular person like me and make an investment through Vester. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So if you see a deal that you like, uh, you do your due diligence, of course, and you know, ask questions about the project. And if you like it, you can invest it from the comfort of your phone or from the comfort of your computer. What are some other differences between Vester and a site like CrowdStreet? 
So we do not, at the moment, we do not have a minimum requirement as far as what you have to have in your real estate portfolios. Some platforms or some websites, they allow for you to raise capital. You have, you have to have a minimum amount in your real estate portfolio. And that leaves out a lot of people who are just getting started. You know what I mean? Yeah, because it seems like this type of a raise would be ideal for a first-time person. Yeah, for a first-time person. But you're only yeah. allowed to do it if you already have 10 hotels. Got it. Okay. Yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, it's knocking out folks, you know, like me when I started. You know, it's like, how can we how can we get access to that? Especially if you don't know how to market or you need more investors, right? Another thing, um, the reason why we differ, again, going back to that credit and non-accredited, there are some, um, some of our competitors you have to be accredited investor in order to invest, which that's not the case for our particular uh, website. I mean, our crowdfunding platform. Gotcha. Yeah. We are going to take a quick break here. When we return, Devon explains the ins and outs of hotel crowdfunding and tells us about being saved by a lucky encounter with a Delta Sky Miles medallion member. Be right back. Top Floor is supported by SiteMinder. In an online world that never sleeps, you can't afford to be off ever. So how do you keep rooms full, guests raving, costs down, and staff happy? SiteMinder is the world's leading hotel commerce platform that provides hoteliers like you with the tools you need to sell, market, manage, and grow your business all from a single dashboard. It's technology without the need to be super techie, intelligence without the detective work, and simplicity without leaving anything out. To learn more about how SiteMinder can help your hotel grow online, visit siteminder.com forward slash top floor. We like to make sure that our listeners come away from every single episode of Top Floor with a few really practical tips for either their business or their lives. So let's say I have a piece of land and the dream of building a hotel. How do I start raising money on Vester? Like I know I can do it there, but what are the practical specific steps that I need to do? Why do you need to have site? Site control of the deal, right? So if you have the land, it can't be you just wake up one day and you see some land across the street and you decide <laughs> to invest it, right? That's not how it works. Like, you have to own you the have, actual you have property. To own it, or it needs to be it needs to be like under contract. Like we're just not going to just let anybody just put a deal on the platform. And so you want to have like a pitch deck. We you know require your you know just you know basic due diligence. You know a feasibility study. You know, have you, will it be possible for you to get, you know, pre-qualified, you know, by a lender? Again, you know, we're doing our due diligence, but we also expect for the investors doing their due diligence. But the investor, they're looking at us because we 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 vetted out this deal, right? So for, in, if for instance, let's say somebody wants to develop a hotel and they want to develop a, a Hyatt, okay? A Hyatt has a net worth requirement, Right. Uh, Marriott has a net worth requirement. You know, Hilton's have a net worth requirement. If you don't meet that net worth requirement and we know you don't meet it, we're not going to put your deal on the platform because... You're not putting a failing deal. Right. One that you know is not going to work. I got yeah, you. It's not going to work. Yeah. If you never... You know, we get people... I want to develop a Ritz-Carlton. That's the first deal that everyone... Everybody wants to develop a Ritz-Carlton. And then it's like, okay, do you have Ritz-Carlton money to develop? And so <laughs> if we know that they don't have it, then we're not going to go... We're not going to put you on the platform. Like I gotcha. 
What about if I'm somebody like, this is what I did when I worked on property. I was a director of sales and marketing. I, I didn't even know that it was possible to own a hotel, right? But say, right. you know, here I am, I'm I'm a director of sales and marketing at a hotel. I don't want the hassle of owning my own, you know, property, but I am interested in investing because I feel like I'm I could do a good job of evaluating deals because I know the industry. How do I go about doing that on Vester? Again, like specifically speaking, I know I can do it, but what are the things I need to have ready? So the thing that you need to have ready, um, really again, going back to check to see if you actually can afford to do it, but to uh, create a profile on on Vester, uh, look at the deals. So look at the deal, see which one you want to invest in. Create a profile. We'll ask a questionnaire. Basically, ask. We just going through compliance on on our end because we are regulated by FINRA and the SEC. So this compliance question that you have to answer, and then you get to choose how you want to invest. And that money will actually go into an escrow agent. So as a platform, we never touch the funds. The funds actually go into an escrow agent, which is another level. Of you know comfort you know for some people right, and so you can you know wire ACH credit card however you want to invest in that particular deal. And again, we're just a platform, so it's not our deal. It's that particular, and it's whatever the the sponsor sets the minimum investment amount. I get that question. Well, what's the minimum investment? It depends on whatever that person says. They can make it ten thousand, five thousand, five hundred, whatever they make for that particular deal. Then that's the amount. Uh, that'll be for it. Gotcha. Okay. So what do you think is the best career path for a future hotel owner? I'm going to give you some choices. Is it hotel operations? Is it asset management, finance, development, something else? Or does it even matter? I think it's a combination of all of that. I think in order for you to really understand how a hotel works, you need to work inside the hotel. Um, I think a lot of times people make decisions and they never worked inside a hotel. And so they don't understand what it's like for, you know, a sold out night or oversold night and someone at the front desk or someone in housekeeping, you know, having or someone in the front office, they have to walk people, you know, or, you know, a house, a housekeeper who has to clean X amount, so many rooms you know, because that particular owner may want to be lean when it comes to from a labor model, right? So it could be help the profit margins. So I think from how I look at things, I I remember what it was like working in a hotel, right? So that operations piece kicks in. The financial side and the development side, it understands the the transactional side and how you can strategize and protect the asset and restructure the asset and re, or reposition the asset. So I think all of those all of those paths that you just mentioned, if I think a, a very good hotel owner, if they can get experience in any of that, even if it's just like an internship or maybe one or two years, I think that'll be a great pathway to really learn and understand and to have a profitable hotel and they can build a portfolio, not just one, but they can have a, a portfolio of hotels. So we have reached the fortune telling portion of the episode where we predict the future and come back later and see if we were right. What is a prediction you have about the future of hospitality? Mm, the prediction that I have is that we will recover from, you know, it was COVID, now it's the monkeypox. Like, <laughs> we, will, we, we, we will recover. I don't think it will be the same. 
I don't think the traveler will be the same. Like the traveler that we were marketing and targeting to pre-COVID, I don't think it's going to be the same traveler post-COVID. How do you think they're different? Well, they've experienced so many different things in a short period of time, right? People life changed. They lost people. Some people became more present. They focused, maybe it's like, you know, before they were a role warrior at work, but since they were at home, they're like, oh my gosh, I'm able to spend more time with my child. So they look at life differently, right? They may be, instead of staying at mostly at corporate hotels, they'll re- they don't mind, you know, spending thousands of dollars to stay in a treehouse. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think that that's what I mean by is I think people, I think we're going to get more experiential travelers. And I think the 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 way that we used to th- do things that this works, no, it's, it's different. Like, I don't want to hear that. And I also think that as an industry that we're going to be more diverse and more inclusive when it comes to more women in leadership positions. I see a wave of more women hotel owners, the more diversified hotel owners in, in, in leadership roles and within operations. I see that happening probably within the next five to 10 years um, because now we have people who are coming in order for our industry to last and stay. We have to cultivate and we have to nurture people in high school and college so that way they can keep our industry going. And to do that is to bring people who look like you and I, you know, through that space and let them see that, okay, you just don't have to be a general manager. There's so many different career paths within the hospitality industry. And this is what you can do. And so I see that and I can't wait to see it. And the reason why I'm saying this, because when I speak to students and I speak to so many people in college and I can't wait to start speaking to some high school students, their thought process is completely different now. It's like now we've been, now we're open to not just being general managers. Now we're open to being maybe a CEO of a hotel or being in, you know, corporate or being in sales and marketing or do whatever. So, well, or all of these other career paths that you talked about experiencing. I mean, when I was coming up in my early days in the hotel business, I didn't know any of that stuff even existed. Right. Mm -mm. I don't think many people do. I didn't know you could be an architect in the hospitality industry. Exactly. I didn't know, you know, I didn't know there was a need for a social media manager. Didn't know that there was a need for, you know, a corporate food and beverage director. All of these different, you know, positions and, and different things or technology, somebody who can code, like, come on now. <laughs> so I know that launching Vester was phase one. What comes next? My 7-Eleven video. <laughs> what comes next for you and for your company? The next is to make Vester a well-known crowdfunding platform where people can use it to raise capital and to invest in deals, um, not just for hotels, but for multifamily, uh, daycares, you know, office, you know, senior living. So that's where I see a uh, of Vester going um, um, in the future. I don't know if I'm going to do another project that's too far in the future. I don't, my mind doesn't work that that well. That I do way. not believe you. I think that you have 27 more projects in the back of your mind and you're just not ready to share, which is completely fair. Kind of, that is kind of true, but I got to fo- I gotta focus on Vester. <laughs> I do have a lot of projects in my head. I've gotten better. I just write them down. I'm like, okay, Devon, finish one project at a time. 
make it wonderful and then go to the next one. So I'm learning. My my team is helping me. They're like, every day I'm like, I got a new idea. Davon, just wait. Just wait. Just wait. <laughs> okay, folks, before we tell Davon goodbye, we are going to head down to the loading dock where all of the best stories get told. Going down. Davon, you've been here on the loading dock with me before. What's another story you would only tell me on the loading dock? Next time we come to the loading dock, we had to bring some drinks. <laughs> Agree. That's, that's that's where the stories really come from. You've right? got that right. Um, so a story, I probably would not be here if it wasn't for, I don't want to say her name, but she, so on my interview to Boston for Siege and Warning, I missed my flight. Like everything, yeah, everything went wrong. Well, I did kind of get to the airport late. But so I decided, so I, you know, based out of Atlanta, anybody who's traveled out of Atlanta, you know, if you don't have TSA pre-check, you just in the, it's the heart, you know, hard place. And so I got to the airport kind of late because I missed my train. So first I missed my train to get to the airport. And then I got to the, so then I decided instead of going through the main terminal, I went through the North terminal. Bad mistake because that took me longer to get to get through security. And then by the time I got to the gate, you know, the plane was gone and and I was like, okay, I need to get to Boston. And the gate agent was like, I can get you to Boston. The issue is I can't get you out of Atlanta. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like freaking out because the interview's at nine o'clock in the morning. I was like, do I need a drive? Am I driving to Boston? Like, oh what am I God. doing? Because he couldn't get he couldn't get me out of Atlanta. I was like, if you fly me to the Philly, New York, I just I'll I'll rent a car. Freaking out. So I just started crying. So then I called my friend who worked for Delta. I was like, can you give me a buddy pass? He didn't have any more. So then I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not about to miss the most important day of my life. Freaking out my dad calling me like crazy because he want to know if I made it. I'm like, decline, decline. <laughs> if you can't help me get to Boston, I can't talk to you right now. You know, dad be freaking out. I said, I don't need that right now. I just, I just need to get to Boston. And so I just started crying. So I went to the Delta, was the, the the Sky Lounge? I forgot what it's called. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I just started crying. And this, and the, and this wonderful woman, I want to say her name. She came up to me and she said, what's wrong, ma'am? And usually I don't tell people why, you know, please leave me alone. <laughs> but something told me to tell her. So I told her, and I was like, I missed my plane. They got an interview tomorrow. It's the most interview, most important interview of my life. And she was like, okay, stop crying. So she gets on the phone and she calls, you know, Delta Sky Miles and she books me a flight to Boston. Oh my goodness. That's how I got it. And so now you know that interview, you know, I got there like 30 minutes. I was in that, I was, I think I was in the the uh the parking lot waiting on folks. I was like, I'm not about to be late. <laughs> So have you missed any other flights since that happened? Oh, of course I did. Of course I did. <laughs> well, I have TSA. I even miss it with TSA. I got TSA pre-check and clear. I'm horrible. I'm horrible when it comes to get to the airport. With my son, I actually get there earlier because I don't want to be stuck in the airport with him. With me, with the air when I when I travel with my little one, he's three, I probably get there like two hours early. I always get there early because I like to sit in the lounge for as long as possible. Now, if I have an international flight, I do get there like two hours early. If I have an international flight, I think I did push it. I had one international flight and I got there like an hour early, and that was that was stressing me out. But yeah, I believe. Davon Reeves, thank you so much for being here. I know that people learned a lot, and I really appreciate you riding up to the top floor. Oh, I appreciate you too. Thank you, Susan. 
Thanks so much for listening to our 50th episode. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 50. Top Floor is produced by Don Albano, who also composed and performed our elevated elevator music with vocals by Cameron Albano. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues after you leave us a five-star review. You can subscribe to Top Floor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. Thanks for listening to the Top Floor Podcast at www.topfloorpodcast.com. Have a hospitality marketing question? Reach us at 850-404-9630 to be featured in a future episode. 